Okay, during the last three weeks, as we've been going through the book of 1 Peter, there's been one exhortation that Peter's given to three separate groups of people. He's told everyone that he's talked to over the last three weeks that they need to submit to an authority figure in their lives. He started a few weeks ago with talking to citizens who need to submit to the governing authorities that are in their lives. Uh, then, the week following, he saw, he, we saw Peter talk to servants or workers or slaves in the various households there in the first century and told them that they also needed to submit, follow the leadership of their masters. And then last week, we dealt with this, the controversy of it all, but last week, Peter spoke to the wives in the households and said that wives need to submit to, be subject to, follow the leadership of their husbands, kind of like, as Paul said, as unto uh, the Lord. So Peter has been following that same exhortation, but applying it to various people groups. Here today, our passage starts, this one verse starts with the word, likewise. But what follows is absent of the word submit. Peter does not tell husbands to submit themselves to their wives. But the word likewise hints to us at the reality that every single Christian is called to be submissive to somebody. And Christian husbands are meant to be submissive to, subject to God himself. You see, the Christian man wants to ask the question, what does God want for my role as a husband. If wives are meant to submit to their husband's lead, then what should my leadership look like? How can a Christian husband lead well? And today we're gonna see from this passage three ways that a Christian husband can lead his bride well. And here's the first one, number one. If you're taking notes, write this down. He should live with his wife in an understanding way. He should live with his wife in an understanding way. All my points today come directly from the text itself. Look at verse 7. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, my opinion is that the church, at times, falls into the same trap that the culture falls into at times by thinking of men and women in very stereotypical kinds of ways. It's not uncommon to hear a pastor in a pulpit talking about men like they're all sports-loving, burping, Homer Simpson kinds of people. It's also not uncommon to hear them then talk about women as if they all love needlepoint and potpourri. That's what men and women are like. But the reality is that in the Bible, men and women are portrayed in lots of beautiful, nuanced ways. Men are seen as poets and musicians, kind and sensitive, good conversationalists, while also being warriors and builders. Women can be athletic and active, handy, hardworking, industrious in their homes and in their community, decisive, leaders, and strong. But still, despite all of this, it seems wise for us to come to the reality that there is a difference between men and women. And because of this, because of the understanding of this difference, I know many Christian husbands who, when reading 1 Peter 3, verse 7, immediately respond by being intimidated by the direction that Peter gives. Peter says that married Christian men must live with their wives in an understanding way. And immediately, many Christian men ask the question, how in the world 
am I ever going to understand this person that I'm married to? She seems so different from me, like a different species. In fact, some Bible translators water down what Peter said. In the New International Version, it says that husbands need to dwell with their wives with compassion, to, to be compassionate towards their brides or considerate of their wives. But the idea of the word that Peter used for understanding is a word that means to gain knowledge, to go to school, to learn something about someone else. So Peter wants husbands to actually attempt to understand their wives. Now, perhaps you are one of those husbands I talked about, and you're a little intimidated by the prospect of trying to understand the woman that God has placed you with. Well, let me encourage you in two ways. Number one, at least you can rejoice in the fact that Peter didn't say that you have to understand all women. He just said, try to understand one woman. All the other women on the face of the earth can be an enigma, a mystery to you that you don't understand, but try to understand the one woman that God has given to you. Secondly, let me encourage you this way. I heard one wise woman say it like this. She said, even if you don't understand your wife, you can still be understanding toward your wife. You can be gentle and patient. You can be kind. You can make space for her to safely become known and understood. So if you're a Christ-following husband who wants to submit to God, his leadership in your life, you will seek to understand your bride. You'll want to know about her feelings, her perspectives, her priorities, her needs, her dreams, her fears, and her hopes. And you will work hard to understand this about your bride. So let me tell you today, before we move on to the second main point, let's talk today about a handful of ways that husbands can seek to understand their brides. First of all, I'd say it like this. You've got to devote some time and energy to the task. You know, if you poll modern people about marriage, many people who are unmarried today who would like to be married in the future they're indicating through polling today that what they're looking for is someone who is compatible to them or with them, who will not change them very much or want to change them very much once they are married. This is forgetting the whole point of marriage itself. You know, for people that have that desire, I say, good luck. That's not what marriage is about. You're going to marry someone who, in a sense, is your opposite. And because we're fallen, broken human beings, we need change and transformation. And all of this will take work. It will take energy. It will take effort. You cannot possibly understand your bride without devoting time to the endeavor. Early on in our married life, somebody told Christina and me that we needed to uh, regularly schedule times where we dated each other. And even before we had children, uh, we started having a weekly date night. Some people have it every other week, some people once a month or whatever, but for us, it was so helpful to have a weekly slot where at the very least, we knew we had a few hours each week to just look at each other, get to know each other, ask each other questions, talk to each other. And for me, it became a vital time for me to try to learn, understand my bride. The second thing I would say is this about understanding your wife or learning to understand her. You got to study the Bible to be able to do this. 
You got to study scripture, especially the portions concerning marriage. You see, you are meant to understand your bride. And the Bible says a lot about who she is, her design, her desires, and his will for both of you together. And there's a lot of great books and Bible studies that Christianity has produced over the years. You can't just say to yourself, I want to be a good husband someday. You've got to be willing to invest your mind, heart, intellect in studying to learn how to become a better husband. And then I would say this, you need to also ask lots of open-ended questions if you want to try to understand your bride. You know, a lot of women are naturally expressive and don't need a lot of prompting, but others need to be drawn out. Either way, a husband can learn a lot by asking his wife questions. Now, let me talk to the guys for a second. When you ask those questions, you got to be there for the response. And I say this because I know how dudes are. You can ask a question, and then your mind just goes somewhere else. You've got to focus on the answer that is given. A lot of guys want the bottom line, their wife starts answering the question, and they just tune out until she gets to the end, because they assume that will be the bottom line. But you got to listen to everything that she's sharing as you ask her about herself. Number four, I think you should learn about her personality. I asked Pastor Matt Kaler, I said, hey, do you have any advice for how a husband can grow to understand his wife? And he said, yeah, one thing that's been really helpful to me and Bree is that we have taken personality profile tests online with the various different systems that have been created. And it helps me to learn about her, to see the answers that she gives and to find out what makes her tick and how I might better serve, serve her. Also, I'd say this, when you're learning about your wife, you have to tell her what you think you're hearing. You see, when you repeat what she said or what you think she said, you can find out if you're actually growing in your understanding. I can't tell you how many times over the years, over the last 20 years of marriage, Christina has shared something with me, laid out her opinions and desires and dreams or something with me. I've heard it then I've repeated it to her. So what you're saying is, and lay it out, and she says, well, basically, it's the exact opposite of what you think I said. I just didn't hear correctly. It takes time to understand another person. And you've got to take a humble posture in this process. You see, unfortunately, many men look down upon women. They think they're better than women. And so when you take that superior attitude into your home towards your bride, you'll think you've got her all figured out or that she has nothing to offer you. But with humility, you have to say to yourself, I'm going to believe my wife is right until she's proven wrong. You're designed to compliment each other. So a wife's perspective, it might not immediately make sense to you. But through careful listening and questioning, asking, you will grow in wisdom once you understand her perspective. And I think this takes humility. And then finally, before we move on to the next major point, you've got to be safe and approachable. You know, when you reveal yourself to someone else, it's a vulnerable experience. Husbands can encourage their wives to vulnerably share who they are with them by providing a safe and approachable environment. 
If a husband responds constantly with hostility or anger or argument, it will become harder for her to open up to him. Now, this probably should go without saying, but before we move on into the next portion, we should point out that Peter didn't say, just understand her without doing anything about it. He said, no, you want to live with her in an understanding way. So when you learn, when you go to school and you learn about your bride, you're then to apply those things to the best of your ability by the power of the Holy Spirit and change the dynamic in your home. Apply what you learn. Okay, the second thing that I want you to see, though, is not only should the Christian husband seek to live with his wife in an understanding way, but number two, he must honor her as the weaker vessel. That's what Peter said there in verse 7, that we must honor our wives as the weaker vessel. He said, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, the exhortation is for husbands to honor their wives, but Peter makes this loaded statement that the wives are the weaker vessel in comparison to their husbands. So this takes a bit of defining for us today. The second word is easier to define than the first. A vessel is a household utensil that is used for containing liquids or foods like grain or wine. The idea of human beings as vessels is something that is actually common in scripture. Every believer in the sight of God is a vessel, an instrument in God's house. We're meant to be used by God for his purposes here on earth. So in the Bible, men are spoken of as vessels for God. Women are spoken of as vessels for God as well. But what really trips us up is that Peter talks about the wife as a weaker vessel than her husband. When he says this, he doesn't give commentary. He doesn't say how she's a weaker vessel. So this has led many commentators and Christians and pastors over time to try to import a definition. And a lot of them have run off into some wild and I would say inappropriate conclusions. I've even heard some pastors portray women as hysterical people who are highly emotional and cannot handle the rigors of everyday life. Uh, I've been to the hospital. I watched all three of my children be born, and I've seen how tough a woman was. I remember when Lauren was born, my firstborn, I just thought to myself, if a man had to do this, the human population would be extinct. <laughs> so I don't think at all that Peter is trying to say uh, that women are unable to handle the rigors of life. In fact, I think their lives are even harder oftentimes than the lives of men. We all have our challenges. Some, though, in hearing those outlandish interpretations, have swung the pendulum all the way to the other side and have said all Peter is saying here is that men generally, biologically, especially in cultures that aren't playing video games and sedentary all day but have to do manual labor, men are generally stronger than women biologically. And this is a, a true reality. But I don't think that all Peter is saying to the husbands in the church is that they should honor their wives because they are stronger than their wives. You know, like, hey, come here, sweetie, let's arm wrestle. Bam! Oh, I beat you. I'm stronger than you. Therefore, I want to honor you because I'm stronger. 
Now, I think we have to think about the context that Peter is delivering this statement in. First, remember what Peter has just been saying. He told citizens that they needed to be subject to the government. He told slaves that they needed to be subject to their masters. And he told wives that they needed to submit to their husbands. In other words, these wives that Peter is thinking about were in a position of weakness. They were not in the positions of authority or power. And the husbands needed to understand this without abusing this, which leads us to a second thought. Brutish, brutal husbands might use their position and their physical strength as a way to make life miserable for the woman that they're designed to lay down their lives for. And Peter thinks that this should never be so in a Christian home. So to me, it seems safe to say that the weaker vessel is the person who is most vulnerable in the relationship, the one who must follow the lead of the other. And Christian husbands have to realize the power, the authority, the influence, the potential that they wield inside of their home. They have to realize on the one hand that they could be a great blessing. They could set a beautiful tone. They could create a wonderful atmosphere or as we've watched so many men do over the years, they could create pain and havoc and chaos in the lives of women. And I think even now, as we look out at our culture and society at large, we're seeing so many single mothers who are left to cope with the decisions that men have made in their lives. Havoc has been released on them because a man did not use his authority, his position, in the right way. So Christian men, we want to build up. We want to defend. We want to provide a place of safety for our bride. But when you're leading, as a Christian man, you have to acknowledge that it's got to be hard to be a wife. Imagine what it would be like to have to follow you. It's hard to follow someone else. It's hard to trust where they are going. So you've got to be the kind of man that is easy and safe to follow. Let me say a couple more things about this idea of the wife being the weaker vessel. First of all, Peter doesn't say that she's a weak vessel, but the weaker vessel. Weaker than what? Weaker than whom? You know, something is only weaker when compared to something else. You know, if you take two really strong men and they go to the gym to lift weights together, one will inevitably be weaker than the other. Not necessarily weak, but weaker. And if you take two preteen boys and send them to the gym, one will inevitably be stronger than the other, but not necessarily strong. So when I think of this concept that the wife is the weaker vessel it stimulates me to be as strong as I can possibly be because apparently my bride is following me from strength to strength into the desires and drives of God himself. We want to be stronger so that our brides can be stronger. Second, especially for those of you who are still struggling with the concept of the weaker vessel, I want you to remember Peter's analogy. The wife is the weaker vessel. There are different vessels in the household that Peter was thinking of. 
You know, and there's different vessels in your house as well. Your Tupperware is more durable than fine china. Wine glasses are weaker vessels than Yeti water bottles. Each of those serves its purpose. And in the household analogy, neither vessel is better than the other, but each serves its purpose. In a similar way, husband and wife, and likely also men and women, they offer and serve different roles. Their design is from God, but each have been made for their purpose from the Lord. So in our home, you know, there's a reason why Christina was the primary potty trainer when our kids were little, and now that they're older, I am the primary driving instructor. And the reason is obvious. I'm the better driver, and she's better at peeing. No, just kidding. She's tender. She's able to bring them up. She's able to be patient, and I need to give that instruction before they die on the road. So you have to think about, what are my roles? Who am I supposed to be? It's also clear that Peter didn't think of the wives in a derogatory way when he said they were weaker vessels for another reason. It's because he said that the response of the husband should be to honor his wife when he realizes that she's the weaker vessel. Now, it's not hard to scan modern humanity and human history for examples of times where societies or religions that dominated societies thought of women as second-class citizens or think of women as second-class citizens. In those societies or in those religions, women are not honored when they're thought of in that second-class way. But to Peter, that's not the response. Dishonor is not the response, it's honor. When the knowledge that the woman, the wife, is a weaker vessel merely means that she is different from the husband and in the most vulnerable position in the relationship, he will honor her for who she is and the position that she holds. Brothers, if you're married, you need to know it's not an easy thing to be a bride. It's not an easy thing to be a wife. You know, in our marriage, Christina and I, we've... Uh, Join together to fulfill the mission that God has given us. We'll be celebrating 20 years of marriage this January. And much of the mission that God has given to us as a couple involves what's happening right here, involves this local church. And I'm very much involved in this work on a day-to-day -day basis, but Christina early on caught a vision about its importance. She believes in the church just as much as I do. And she became convinced that I could not do what I do without her full support. I realize in a significant way that, in a sense, she has adopted the second position in our lives. And in a very real way, you are all recipients of her faithful ministry and support and love towards me. I think she and every bride who follows their husband's lead is worthy of honor because they are helping the job get done. So a believing husband has to work hard to honor his bride. One way to do this is to make sure that you never lead in a tyrannical kind of way. You need to be kind. You need to be compassionate. You need to be soft, or if you're in incapable of being soft, you need to try to be softer. I remember early in our marriage, I would come home from these men conferences that I would teach at, 
or that I would attend two, three days with nothing but men. And I would come home, and after an hour of being home or two hours of being home, Christina would look at me like, why are you talking to me like this? Why are you treating me like this? And I realized that I hadn't turned the man switch off. I'd, I'd, I'd been communicating with men, two men, four men for two or three days, and I realized, oh, there's a different gear I got to get into in my home. I need to be clear, but I don't have to be brutally direct. I can say things with tenderness and care, listen, move slowly, communicate, and move through life together. And brothers, I would say this, a great way to honor your bride is to get her insight and wisdom for your life. It's astonishing to me how many men will seek the counsel of mentors and books and pastors and leaders and Twitter, but won't go and ask their wife, what do you think I could do to level up my life? She might have an incredible opinion and perspective on just what is needed today. And of course, a man must always honor his bride by keeping appropriate boundaries with other women or images of other women. All right, let's end by looking at the last third of this verse and thinking about one last thing that Christian husbands can do, exile husbands can do. They can, number three, live as co-heirs with her of the grace of life. What I mean by that is you need to live with your wife as if she's your spiritual equal. This is what Peter said at the end of verse seven. He said, since they're heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now this statement backs up the idea that I've been expressing that Peter is not thinking of women or wives in a derogatory way at all. There are plenty of religions that describe their versions of eternity as some perverted male paradise. But that's not what Peter holds out. He says Christian men and women, when they give their lives to Christ, they are both co-heirs of Jesus' inheritance. They will both get the presence of God. They will both get heaven. In other words, he's saying to the husbands in the church that she might be your bride, but she is also your sister in Christ. She belongs to God. So though wives are the weaker vessel, and though the husbands have greater authority in the marriage, Peter makes it clear that wife and husband are equals before God. You both needed the gospel. You've both been recipients of his grace. And one day you will both receive the inheritance, the grace of life that God has for his people. And to me, this presents a huge implied challenge to every husband in the house today. Here's what I mean by this challenge, an implied challenge. You see, Peter is making it clear that one day, if you're married and in Christ, your wife, if she's also a Christian, will inherit and experience everlasting life with you. She will also go to heaven. She will go to glory. And on that day, you will no longer be in a position of responsibility or authority in her life. Everything we talked about last week, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, it, it, it expires once she is fully in the presence of the Lord. She will, in a sense, at that moment, be reporting directly to God himself. So here's the challenge. Lead your wife in a way now 
that leads to as little change as possible when she's in glory. You see, the Bible says that the Son, Jesus, follows the will of the Father, and that husbands in the home are meant to follow the will of the Son who is following the Father, and that brides are to follow the husband who is following the Son who is following the Father. So the moment will come where you will be removed from that equation. In a sense, you're like a middleman. And one day, you'll be gone. You'll no longer be in that authority role. And I pray that on that day, your bride will not be all that shocked by what God's leadership is like. You see, if you refuse to lead today, your wife will be tempted to disobey God and do her own thing without you. If you lead abusively, she'll be tempted to hate your leadership. In either case, the transition to glory will be a shock, a welcome shock, but a shock for her. But if you lead well today, she might love your leadership because it will feel like God's leadership, God leading through you. And when she gets to glory, it won't feel all that different. It'll just be that the middleman, her husband, is gone. Now, Peter concludes by saying that there's a reason that husbands should want to see their wives as a spiritual co-heir and honor them and live with them with an, in an understanding way. He says, if we don't, our prayers, look at the end of verse 7, he says, our prayers will be hindered. This has always been an interesting statement to me from Peter, partly because of the mystery of it, but partly because it's clear that Peter thinks that this is a motivating factor in the life of a Christian man. It's important to make sure that we're not the types of Christian men who name the name of Christ, but really couldn't care less about whether we're heard by God in fellowship with God. Peter thought that the early Christian men he wrote to would have cared deeply about being connected to God and would have been grieved heartily had they not been in connection with the Lord. The last thing these men to Peter would have ever wanted was to have their prayers hindered before God. No, gospel men want a closeness with God. So how is it that a Christian man, if he refuses to honor his bride, he refuses to live with her in an understanding way, he creates a harsh environment, how is it that his prayers will be hindered? Well, I think there's a natural and supernatural explanation for this. The supernatural explanation is that God gets involved in the process. God sees the sin. Nothing escapes his vision. Nothing escapes his sight. And so he will put a hindrance in that man's relationship with himself. Now, this should not be a big shock to us. The Bible teaches that when you become a Christian, you're transferred from darkness into light, that you're delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But listen to what John said. He said in 1 John 1, 6, that if we say we have fellowship with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So you, though you've been transferred from darkness into light, you could make the decision to walk in the darkness. But God's not over there. God's in the light. So of course, when a Christian husband is walking in the darkness, his prayers will be hindered because he's not where God is in the light. But I think there's also a natural explanation 
for the hindrance of prayers that these husbands might experience. You see, a lot of people think that Peter's not talking about the prayers a man prays alone to God, but the prayers that a husband and wife pray together. And two people cannot pray together effectively when they aren't in agreement with each other. I've been to a lot of prayer meetings in my time, and a lot of them have been beautiful and great, but I have been to a handful of prayer meetings where I could not agree with the other people who were praying in that room. In my estimation, the things that they were praying for came from an unbiblical grid, and they were asking for unbiblical things. And I'm not ashamed to admit that in those moments, you know what I do? I pray against what they're praying for. (laughs) The very thing they're asking God to do, I'm asking God not to do, because I disagree with where they're going and the way they're seeing the world and the problems that exist. You see, our prayers in that moment are hindered because we're not all on the same page. So when a husband doesn't understand or honor his wife, it's going to show up if he tries to pray with her. First of all, he won't know how to pray for her because he doesn't understand her. He won't know how to pray with her because they're not aiming for the same things in life. And she won't feel safe praying with him because he hasn't honored her as the weaker vessel. You see, in a sense, when a Christian husband and wife cannot easily talk about God, not easily talk about their relationship with God, what God is showing them, what God is doing in their lives, when they cannot easily pray together to God, it's an early indicator of bigger problems in the marriage or other problems throughout the marriage. It's like the canary in the coal mine, if you've ever heard that analogy. It used to be that miners would take a canary into the coal mine, and when the canary stopped singing, it was an early warning signal to them that oxygen was running out and they needed to escape the mine as quickly as possible. And when a married couple's spiritual life before God starts drying up, when their prayers are hindered, It's an early warning sign that something needs to be fixed. They say the couple that prays together stays together, but Peter is saying that the couple that cannot pray together has some issues that must be addressed. Think about it. Prayer with your spouse, it should be a microcosm of your whole life together. You know, when Christina and I pray together, we are asking God for similar things for our lives. Similar things for our marriage and children and friendships and our church. We've regularly talked about or communicated about all these areas of life so nothing shocks us when we get to prayer. Oh, I didn't even know that you felt that way. You prayed that way. I didn't know about that. No, hopefully we've talked about these things already. Hopefully I'm not sitting there racking my brain thinking, what's going on in her life? What in the world should I pray for her about? What are her hopes or fears? What does she want out of life? How are her friendships and family relationships doing? How does she feel the kids are doing right now? Who's she discipling right now? No, I know the answer to all of those questions, and she knows the same about me, so we can pray. By the way, I would urge all of you married couples who are here today to pray together. I know this can be intimidating. You know, I respect my wife a lot when it comes to the spiritual realm and dimension. I look up to her walk with God and always have. So early on, I remember being really intimidated 
in praying with her because I had a lot of respect for her prayer life. And then also we were exposed to some mentors and some counsel who honestly described spousal couple prayer in ways that were not very appealing to me. Uh, one particular couple told us about their prayer lives and how every day at the end of the day they would hold hands and they would stare into each other's eyes and kind of lock gaze together and then they would pray these beautiful prayers right before they went to bed and it just felt so sappy and so corny to me and it just wasn't appealing to me and wasn't what I wanted our prayer life uh, to be about. You know, for me, it's like the end of the day, time to pray. It's like she starts praying, I start snoring. It's time to go to bed. That's what's happening at that time of day. So for us, what we found a good rhythm for our lives was to have a weekly time where we prayed for a longer stretch together, a prayer meeting together. Rather than praying as individuals on that day, we pray together on that day. And it's been a great blessing in our lives together. You see, marriage is meant to lead to intimacy, and there's a sense in which praying together is the closest that you can be to another person. So today, we've seen that husbands are to understand their wives, to honor their wives, and to see their brides as their spiritual equal. And I would say this as we wrap it up. Husbands are leading no matter what. It might be haphazard leadership, neglectful leadership, or sinful leadership, or it might be good leadership, holy leadership, pure leadership, but men are important in this world, and they are important in their homes. They set a tone. They impact things. They are leading. It is important for God's men to lead as God would have us to lead. Let's receive his grace, because we need it in this area of life, and if we're called to marriage, let's be the husband's that he has redeemed us to become. All right, let's close together by praying for the marriages of our church. Lord, we do pray for the marriages, and particularly today, the husbands, and ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us to be the men that you've called us to be. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness towards us and in giving us the clear instruction of your word. Grow us, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen.